There you go. Thank you, Jules. Thank you, Troy. Thank you, Elise, for that wonderful kids um, spot. That was, that was awesome. I enjoyed that thoroughly. Well, there's, there's a, if you're new to church, there's a classic Easter tradition where I say he is risen, and you will say he is risen indeed. We did it before, but we're going to do it again. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise the Lord. Isn't that good? Um, can I also just give a big shout out? How beautiful are these flowers? Can we just all thank Ruthie for the flowers? Uh, and embarrass her a little bit. She also took care of dinner on Thursday night. Uh, so, yeah. Can we give her another round of applause for that as well? <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruthie. Seriously, we're so blessed by, um, by yeah, that visual aid of these flowers today, that there's new life in Christ. Um, well, uh, also, fair warning before I go on. I might well throw that out again through the service, that he is risen. So stay on your toes. Stay on your toes. Challenge leveled. Um, we're going to start today, probably not when you, where you typically start on an Easter Sunday, but that's okay. We're going to start today with some ancient wisdom, ancient Jew and Jewish wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes. This is written two and a half, three thousand years ago. This is ancient wisdom. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes has to say. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart. Verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. Let me paraphrase what he's saying there, because there's a little bit of going on here. Um, To paraphrase his point, meditating on death (laughs) is the path to wisdom. Meditating on death is the path to wisdom. He goes so far to say, that it is the fool who is consumed with the frivolousness of cheap laughs, parties, and he never actually stops to consider his very real mortality. It's a fool. For example, verse 2 says, it is better to go to a funeral than a party, as in it's better as in like the outcome is, is, is more advantageous. It's not funner, but it is better. He's saying that. I think, I think everyone that has been to a funeral know that there is some truth in this. There is something that happens at a funeral that doesn't happen elsewhere. In those places, we are forced to kind of look the reality of our temporariness in the face, and we can't look away, at least for an hour. And then we can go and watch Netflix afterwards, right? <laughs> Pretend that that wasn't real. Funerals have a way of jolting us. This is what this verse is trying to say. It has a way of jolting us awake, to the reality of who we are, it jolts us awake to the biggest questions in life. It reminds us that there is a day coming. Psalm 90, verse 12, we find this prayer in Psalm 90. It says this, Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Death is no easy thing to talk about. It's even harder to think about deeply. And yet, the more we dwell on it, the wiser we become. The more we avoid it, the more foolish we become. Tim Keller, has this, he has this great little book called On Death, uh, where he writes this. He says, death is the great interruption, tearing loved ones away from us and us from then. And everyone that's experienced that knows that is a real thing. 
Death is the great schism, tearing apart the material and immaterial parts of our being and sundering a whole person who is never meant to be disembodied even for a moment. Death is the great insult. Because it reminds us, as Shakespeare says, that we are worm food. Death is hideous and frightening and cruel and unusual. Death is our great enemy. More than anything. It makes a claim on each and every one of us, pursuing us relentlessly through all our days. No one can avoid death. It is said... It has been said that all the wars and plagues has never raised the death toll. It has always been one for each and every person. He finishes by pointing out, and we seem less prepared for it than our ancestors. We are less prepared. So, given that it is an absolute certainty of your life and my life that this is coming, surely... Continuing to live in denial of this is a fool's errand, which makes us all fools, correct? Wisdom would have us number our days. Wisdom would have us number our days and come into step with reality that we are finite, that we will die. Welcome to Easter. (laughs) Welcome to church, guys. Yeah, seriously, like... Welcome to Easter Sunday. We're talking about death. What is going on here? What, where's the chocolate? We've got the flowers. Where's the chocolate, right? Um, if, if you're new to church, welcome to church. It's great to have you. But listen, we must talk about death today. Otherwise, why does the resurrection even matter? There are right now plenty, maybe millions of Australians around, around the country who don't care that Jesus is alive. They don't care. Why does it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because you're going to die. No one here wants to think deeply about their own death, and it is part of my job description here to make you think about death today. So thanks for that. You are so welcome. Have you ever actually had anyone before just like look you in the eye and tell you that you're going to die? Maybe you've never actually had that moment. But this is what the Bible's bringing us into today. You have a birthday. You know that when that day falls, you have a cake every year. You have a death day as well. You don't know when that comes around on the calendar, but it's there every year. We pass it. Listen, a fool avoids death. A fool avoids it. He denies it, and a wise man dwells in it. And so this Easter, we are, as a church community, going to take a step towards wisdom considering what it is the Bible has to teach us about our own death. So we are in the text, uh, Hebrews 2 is where we're going to be. So if you have the Bible, you can crack it up to Hebrews 2. We're just going to do two verses today. Two verses, verses 14 and 15. These two verses help us see with maybe some extra clarity what it is that Jesus has done for us in his death his resurrection, why this is such good news for us as we face up to our own mortality together. Here we go. Verse 14. Since the children, that's us, we're the children, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, this is Jesus, he too shared in their humanity 
so that by his death, he might destroy the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We've got three brief points I'm going to draw out of this passage today just to help us think through. He's saying here, firstly, our slavery, our slavery, his humanity, and finally, death's destruction. These are the three things we're going to go through. First one, our slavery, our slavery to the fear of death, it says there at the end. Um, there's this one author, Ernest Becker. He won a Pulitzer Prize for his book back in the 70s called The Denial of Death. He's not a religious guy. These are just his meditations on, on the problem that we all share and just the pure wrongness of death, that tension we all feel about just how wrong it is that there would be an end for us. This is how he puts his, this, this kind of tension. He says the, the Eastern sages are also new. Man is a worm and food for worms. But this is the paradox. He is out of nature and hopelessly in it. So humanity has this transcendent part of us. There's this part of us that's more than just flesh and blood, right? He is out of nature and yet hopelessly in it. He's dual. He's up in the stars. And yet he is housed in a heart-pumping, breath-gasping body. This body is a material fleshly casing that is alien to him in many ways. The strangest and most repugnant way being that it aches and it bleeds and it will decay and it will die. Does anyone feel that as you get older in particular? It's like this thing used to be good and now all of a sudden, downhill. He's trying to get this idea across, right, that there is this, yeah, this two parts of us. There is this transcendent, magnificent part of us that is noble and wonderful and, and a magnificent, and yet there is this other part of us that is just, we're doomed to die. We end up in the ground. We're, we end up worm food. He goes on. He says, man is literally split in two. He has an awareness of his splendid uniqueness in that he sticks out of nature with towering majesty, and yet he goes back into the ground a few feet in order to blindly and dumbly rot and disappear forever. It is a terrifying dilemma to be in and to have to live with. This is not a religious man. He lived his life with that terror of that dilemma, knowing that it shouldn't be like this, and yet this is where we are. So here's the dilemma according to Mr. Ernest Becker. We all have a deep intuition that we should not die, that we should live forever. We know we don't want to live forever here, because when you look around, but we don't want to, we know we should live forever. We know how, we have a deep intuition that there is something different about us as humans. We're, we're more than just smart monkeys, right? We, we know that. There's some, we know that there is something in us that is different. We believe love should last eternity. We know that our actions matter. We know that our lives have a purpose. We know that good and evil are real, not just made up imaginary things, that they exist, that there is a difference between them. We, we know that beauty is not just an illusion of chemicals in my brain, but there is something real about beauty. We know deep down that the most important things will last forever. They will. And then, as Becker points out, 
but then we end up in the ground, and how does it, like, and then who cares? Right, in the end, is there a final lasting difference between those who live like Stalin and Hitler and the list goes on, and then those who live sacrificial, loving lives? Is there a lasting difference between those two types? Does it matter? Does, it, does anything matter, right? Does it matter then just in a few years after our death, people probably won't, rem like the vast majority of people probably won't remember us a whole bunch? A couple of decades after our death, most of the people that we lived with would have passed on as well, and then what memory of us will last in a couple of thousand of years? I mean, like, will life be possible on this planet? Will anything last? Does anything last? <laughs> Again, happy Easter. Now, I am not saying anything shocking or controversial. You walked in this room knowing that one day you would die. It's just my job to remind you. You are really good at not thinking about it. That's the problem. Wisdom has us enter into this space and think about what this means for us. In fact, I say like we're really good at not thinking about this, but collectively as a whole, our culture is really good at not thinking about it. We have compartmentalized death in like professional manner to get it as far away from us as we can possibly do. In the past, death was everywhere. People were dying all the time, disease, and it was just different, right? We have got really good at making that happen in the palliative wing of a hospital, and we don't see it, we don't feel it. And I mean, people wonder why people are turning away from God. It's because they think they don't need him. We have, en masse, successfully compartmentalized the fact that we will each and every one of us see our last sunset, watch our last movie, have our last Macca's run, have our last cup of tea, finally breathe our last breath. The Bible here is telling us something profound. It has an insight into the human psychology that is divine, quite clearly. This is what it's saying, right? This is what Hebrews 2, 14 saying, 15 saying. We all live deeply traumatized by the fact that we will die. Quietly traumatized by that. I'm not going to talk about it. We're just going to cope by medicating ourselves through distraction, cheap laughs. That's the, that's, that's the way out, right? Well, Text today, verse 15, says, Jesus will free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hebrews 2 is just laying it out in black and white for us, isn't it? It is helping us see that what we are experiencing, what Ernest Baker is articulating, is a slavery to fear of death. Slavery. Slavery to fear of death. This is the human problem Universally, whether we are conscious of it or not, we are subconsciously terrified of our own death. It drives everything. And so this Easter, what Jesus, what the resurrection of Jesus is saying to us is what if your intuition that you should live forever is not make up, made, made, make up, made believe, make believe and made up, it is real. What if death is not a full stop at the end of your life, but a comma moving into something more and more beautiful in the story of your own existence? What if some things do last forever? What if good and evil are real, not made up? What if we are made to live forever, not in this broken world, but in the world made new, all things made new? Which 
leads us to what God has done to free us from this fear of death. This is point number two, his humanity. Go back to the start in verse 14. It says this, look at what Jesus has done for us. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity. So in order to rescue us from the slavery of fear, I mean, he could have, God could have gone another route, surely. He could have just destroyed death from heaven sitting on his throne, but he didn't, did he? He entered into the slavery of fear himself. He came into our reality, our lived reality. He became one of us. The Son of God became one of us and entered into that slavery of death. He faced death himself. In that first Christmas story, what happens? It's the Son of God coming off the throne, entering into reality, becoming one of us, lowering himself into his creation in order to die, to face death on our behalf, for us. This is the way, in the same chapter, just, just a couple of verses down, we read this in Hebrews, uh, from verse 17. He said this, for, this, for this reason, he had to be made like, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Do you see this? God didn't sit on his throne and declare death was over. He became one of us. He entered into the story himself. He knows what it is like to suffer. He knows what it is like to be limited by a breaking body. He knows what it is like to be tired and hungry. He knows what it is like to be hurt and to grieve over the lost loved ones and to be abandoned by his friends and to be betrayed by those he trusted. He knows what it is like he knows what it is like to die. Jesus knows what it is like to die. We just spent a whole weekend meditating on this. Friends, the heart of God towards you is so strong that he came to get you out from under that slavery. He entered in to rescue you out, to fight the battle against death on your behalf. He came to deliver you from the grip of the fear of death. Let's keep reading. Death's destruction. Last point. Here we go. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, this is why he came to church today, correct? This is why we came to church on Easter Sunday, to remember the fact that he is risen. He's risen. Yes, we, re we remembered. Um, today we're in this room to celebrate Easter together, to remember the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life on our behalf. He died a sacrificial death in our place, and friends, he rose again to prove that he is the Son of God, and he has the keys of death. This is what Jesus himself said. It's John 11. He said this before he died. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is before he rose again, by the way. This is after he rose Lazarus. Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Friends, Easter is spectacularly good news for us. Spectacularly good news for us who are under the slavery of death. No one else in the world has anything that comes close to this kind of good news. You ask an atheist about what his hope in death is, what's he going to say? Well, well, your life is pointless, suffering, and just try to come to grips with that as soon as you can, and just good luck. Try to make the best of it. The Muslim, what did he say about his hope in death? Well, I'm trying my best, and hopefully God will accept me. Hopefully God will accept me. And the list goes on. The Hindus, well, who knows what's going to happen to you in the reincarnation? Come back as a frog in my garden, be terrorized by my cat. That'd be a terrifying existence. She's the worst hunter ever, but for some reason she can get she can get frogs. It must be slow. Friends, Jesus alone, the resurrection of Jesus alone gives us the strength to actually stare down death defiantly. Stare down death with fresh courage. Our final enemy has been defeated by Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. That's the promise of Jesus today. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is what is on offer to each and every one of us in this room. From the mouth of Jesus, from the hand of Jesus, you need not die. You need not die. Friends, your your death is actually a certainty, but your fear of it, your bondage and slavery to it is totally optional. Come receive life. Come receive life. I have uh, two basic applications for us to take away today. We'll see how this goes. Firstly, let's together resolve to live free from the fear of death. Let's resolve to live free from the fear of death. And secondly, let's resolve to die free of the fear of death. Free of the fear. Let's resolve to live in this and die in this. Firstly, let's resolve to live free from the fear of death. Why? Because he has freed us, Hebrews 2.15, has freed us from the slavery of fear of death. This is what Jesus says to us in Revelation 1. For those of us who are fearful of our death, Jesus says to us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And friends, I hold the keys to death and Hades. I hold the keys to death and Hades. Listen, if you're here and you are counting on this life to be everything you hoped, you have everything to fear and nothing to gain. Everything to fear and nothing to gain. I mean, look around. How has that gone for us? Every breath we take is another less. But friends, if you are ready and willing to move your chips from the square of you doing your best onto the life of Jesus and his victory over death, the one who holds the keys 
to death, the one who is going to give you life that will never end, what's stopping you? Maybe today's the day you move your chips off that fool's errand of thinking that you can take on death yourself. Maybe today's the day you stop being a fool and acknowledge you will die. And today you are ready to join yourself. Like those two sheets of paper that were supposed to come apart but didn't, right? Join yourself to the one who has conquered death already. When you hand your life over to Jesus, your death changes. It does. Your death changes. We can actually begin to live our lives with the kind of confidence that says, Jesus, he holds the keys. He holds the keys already. We can live with a kind of calm, non-anxious confidence, steel in our spine, spring in our step, knowing that he is the one who has victory over death. He is thrown down the final enemy, to never rise again. Fear not, says Jesus. Fear not. Take that to heart today, friends. I am the living one. I'm the first and the last. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys. Let's resolve to live with this kind of, we believe Jesus is who he says he is. That he's alive, that he is well. This is on offer to anyone who would have that strength. You can have it today. Secondly, let's resolve to die well. It's coming for us all. We can die free from the fear of death. That's good news. I love this from John Wesley. He's the founder of Methodism, uh, famous Christian through history. He says this of Christians. He says, our people, they die well. Talking about Christians. Our people die well. We die with hope. When you cross over into life with God, when you cross over into life with him and you stake your entire life on the claim of Jesus that he is the risen one, the one who holds the keys, death loses its terror, doesn't it? How can it not? It becomes a comma in the story rather than the full stop. It, is, it can't defeat you. It can't defeat your life. One of the other famous preachers through history, D.L. Moody, said this, once he wrote this in a newspaper. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I should be more alive than I am right now. Amen? I love the joyful defiance in that. Years later, he lay dying, and we have his final words. His son gives us his final words. This is what he said. You can imagine an old man going to be with the Lord. He says, earth recedes. And heaven opens before me. God is calling me, and I must go. This is my coronation day. Friends, you can live well by the power of God, free from the fear of death, and you can die well by the grace of God, free from the fear of death. You can. You can. I 100% believe this. It's going to take courage, of course it will. More than that, it's going to take an endless stream of God's grace forever, right? And guess what? He wants to give that to you. He can give that to you. He can supply everything we need. So today, hear the words of Jesus once more. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone, I love how everyone 
even me, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Let me close with this final challenge or encouragement, depending on how you take it. Some of us in this room, to put it as bluntly as the Bible does, are fools. (laughs) Sorry to do you like that. Because you are living under the impression you will live forever. Fools. This is not just the young men, although you guys are the chief culprits. But yes, this is all of us. No one, no, one, no one gets to kind of wiggle out of this one. This is all of us. Isn't it time today to actually face reality? There's simply not enough kale smoothies to drink or sit-ups to do or positive thoughts to think. It's coming, right? It's coming. It's inevitable, and it'll be here faster than we all think. I think we know that. So, given that the Bible says... Naked we can come into this world, naked we'll depart, right? We don't get to take anything with us, given that it's just going to be us and him on that final day. Wouldn't today be a good day <laughs> to move your chips off of yourself and onto the resurrection of Jesus, the one who is alive, the living one, the one who holds the keys and receive the good gift of everlasting life? What are you waiting for? Why not today? Friends, he holds the keys. One more time. He is risen. risen Let's pray. Through distraction, through the Netflix, through the endless stream of media. Lord, we just don't want to face up to who we are and what is true about us most obvious thing that is true about us. And yet, Lord, today, I pray that you would give us insight into ourselves, insight into reality, Lord, that we would come to see who we are, Lord, that we are dearly loved. We're made in your image. There is something noble and magnificent and beautiful and glorious about us. Lord, we are not just smart monkeys. We are made to live forever with you. There is a lasting difference between good and evil in this world. And Lord, you are the only place we will find life because you're the only one who has conquered death. So Jesus, today we remember that you are risen, you are alive, and that you hold the keys. Lord, today we want to shift our confidence from ourselves onto you and your resurrection. Lord, let us be found in you, Lord. Let us live well and let us die well in the confidence that in the end, Lord, you have defeated death. Jesus, we thank you that you came to get us. We thank you that you suffered and died for us on that cross. We thank you that it is indeed finished, Lord, that there's nothing we can add to your perfect atonement, Lord, but that we can just joyfully receive it in faith. Lord, you are so good to us. We love you and we want to love you more. Would you help us? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.